Well, last week we kicked off this series that we're calling This Change Is Everything. And we're talking about a small change that makes a big difference, a small thing that you can add into your life, a small thing that you can change about your life that ultimately uh, pays big dividends. It makes a big difference. And so the small thing that makes a big difference that we were talking about throughout this series is gratitude. And last week we started this series by saying that it's not just enough to feel gratitude. Uh, we really need to learn to express gratitude because gratitude must be shown in order to be known. So hopefully for those of you who were who are here last week, uh, you've written a letter, you've made a a phone call, uh, you've talked to someone who made a difference in your life once upon a time, and you express gratitude to them. If, if not, uh, there's still time to do that. I write a letter every November to someone I haven't seen in years, typically someone who made a difference in my life once upon a time, and it's one of the uh, most enjoyable things that I do. So I would encourage you, if you haven't already, find a special person that you owe a debt of gratitude uh, for and to, and go back and say thank you to them. Uh, you will be glad that you did, and they will be glad as well, because gratitude is this incredible thing. It's a small thing, but it makes a big difference. It will change the way that you see life. It will change the way that you experience life, and it will change ultimately the way that you respond to life. And that's why gratitude is a really big deal. Now, today what I want to talk about, I want to talk about the inevitable outcome of choosing to be grateful. If you decide to be a grateful person, if you choose to be a person who expresses gratitude to other people and you understand that gratitude must be shown in order to be known, it's just not enough to feel it. If you decide to be grateful, you need to know what you're getting yourself into because when you choose to be a person marked by gratitude, there is a predictable consequence of that. When you choose to be grateful, something happens, there is a chain reaction, there is a series of events and the end result of those chain reaction events is predictable and it's unavoidable. It's something predictable and it's something unavoidable. And when you decide to be grateful, when you decide to be a person of gratitude, here's ultimately where it's gonna lead. It's gonna lead you to generosity. Let's all just say this together, generosity. Now, let's all take a breath and relax because whenever you talk about generosity, I promise you there's not gonna be an offering at the end of the sermon. <laughs> we have not installed card readers on the back of your seats. So just relax. But you need to know that if you're going to be a grateful person, if you choose to be grateful, it will ultimately lead you to a place of generosity. The origin of generosity is gratitude. Gratitude is the parent of generosity. In other words, you know, gratitude generates generosity. Let's all just say this together. Gratitude generates generosity. Gratitude generates generosity. Gratitude is something we choose to express. And when we choose to be grateful, when we consciously decide that gratitude is a healthy thing, it is a good thing, it will ultimately generate generosity in your life. And here's why that's important, because generosity is not intuitive. Generosity is not natural. If you are a parent of a small child, or you remember what it was like to be a parent of a small child, or you are a grandparent, and your grandchildren are still small, you know that generosity is not intuitive, it is not natural, because as a parent, as a grandparent, we are always trying to speak to our kids about the importance of sharing. And when they refuse to share, in front of other parents, in front of other kids, us parents and grandparents, we are mortified. And we look at our kid, and we make faces at them. And finally, when they're not getting the drift, we say, honey, you need to share. 
It's good to share. Why do we have to say those things? Because it's not intuitive. It's not natural. And as parents, you know, we, we make excuses for the selfishness of our children. We say, oh, they just woke up from a nap. That's their favorite toy. They just got that, right? I mean, normally they're not like this. And we just make excuses. But as we become adults, it doesn't change. Our intuition, our natural inclination is selfishness. But yet we run out of excuses. And so we seek to make more sophisticated excuses and rationalizations and justifications for why we are not generous. But once, once we understand that generosity is generated by gratitude, we begin to understand something about ourselves. That if we have a hard time with generosity, it's because ultimately we have had a hard time embracing gratitude. Because gratitude will always generate generosity. And, and this, is, this is how we know this, because grateful people end up being generous people. You know this to be true. You, you've met some of these people. Some people look at you and consider you one of those people. But grateful people end up being generous people. It always happens. It's an inescapable consequence of gratitude. That once you embrace gratitude, sooner or later, it's going to end you up in a place of generosity. And when you think about this, this makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense that grateful people would be generous people. Because when you are grateful for what you have been given, you in turn want to be generous with what you've been given. If you are not grateful for what you have been given, you are never inspired to be generous with what you have been given. And once we think about this, this makes perfect sense and we understand this, but we don't think about this very often. Grateful people end up being generous people, but beyond that, generous people end up changing people's lives. This is why we should care about this as Jesus followers. Grateful people end up being generous people and generous people end up changing people's lives. We say it all the time around here. You probably get tired of it, that's okay. Generosity changes lives. We have it on t-shirts, we have it on the wall. I mean, it's all over the place. It's one of our core values. And the reason that we say this over and over again is not because it's a cool slogan, but it's because it's absolutely 100% true. Generosity changes lives. Generous people changes people's lives. And you've experienced this and I have experienced this on some level. If you've lived any at all, you have most likely experienced what it's like to encounter a generous person. And your life has been impacted and changed and altered to some degree by a generous person. We don't think about it in these terms, but whenever you are the recipient of generosity, Whenever you are the recipient of generosity, it in some way marks you. It leaves a dent on your life. It marks you in a way that you never quite get over. Now, it, you may not think about it often, but in some way, generosity changed you. You're never quite the same once you are the recipient of generosity. Now, I was thinking about this last night, and, and I really, I, I got emotional about it. I was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how my life has been changed by generosity. Generosity changes lives. It has changed my life. Now, this is a picture of the church that I grew up in. This picture is bad, but you can look at the screen. Uh, but I wanted to show you this horrible picture because if you search the worldwide internet for Meldrum Missionary Baptist Church, you're not going to find it. That's the church I grew up in, and we have zero footprint on the internet, the church that I grew up in. And that should tell you a whole lot about where I came from because they're nowhere to be found on the worldwide internet except this one horrible pixelated picture. 
But this is the church that I grew up in, brick, red brick, steeple that's cut off at the top, and you can't really see it. But this is the church that I grew up in. This was the church that my mom and dad attended while my mom was pregnant with me. When I was born, this was the church they took me to. And if I wasn't with my parents, I was with my grandparents. I went to Sunday school there. Matter of fact, this is a picture of me in my Sunday school class. Right there I am. Obviously, I was the pastor of my Sunday school class. <laughs> Even back then, I would wake up and I, I, I would want to go. There were obviously other casual people embraced the casual church back then, but I was still conservative. I, I, I was still, I wanted to go with the tie. I just felt that was important. And so, you know, I showed up Sunday in and Sunday out with my tie on. And you can't see the little tables and the wood chairs and, and all the things on the bulletin board, but this was my Sunday school class. And, and I went to this church from before I was born to when I was 16 years old. And this is a picture of the people that attended uh, my church, my childhood church. And this is Easter Sunday. And the church that I grew up in, Easter attendance really did not fluctuate uh, with other Sundays in the course of the year because everybody attended my church. We were basically related to one another. And so, you know, we just had to be there. If not, you knew someone was missing. So there were no Easter bunnies that hopped into church once a year in the church that I grew up in. So basically, this was the church weekend and week out. And, and this is just unbelievable. I, I, I looked at this picture last night and, and you, you don't know any of these people, but, but this guy right here, you can't hardly even tell, you know, that's my great grandfather. That's my great grandfather, Roy. He was the, he was the choir director of the church. And beside of him is my great grandmother. And her name was Mary and my grandmother and grandfather's in the picture. The guy who was my childhood bus driver when I rode the bus on bus number 19, and then he got a new bus and it became bus number 41. Isn't it crazy how you remember the most, you know, the darndest things in life? And that was my bus driver. My Sunday school teachers are in there. There's deacons in there uh, and the pastors in there. And I was thinking last night, this is a group of people. I don't know everybody's name. I recognize a lot of the faces, but I am here to tell you. I have been changed by the generosity of these people. And I got to thinking about it last night. It really was emotional for me because once upon a time, there was a group of grateful people that ended up being generous and they built a church and they paid for it. And then they put nice carpet in there and they put comfortable seats in there and then they put a sound system in there and they, they paid the pastor and they put you know, tables and chairs in Sunday school rooms and they bought all the supplies and all the snacks and, and all the sticks of glue and all the markers and, and everything that went in there, the heating and the air and the parking lots and the paint and they kept things looking nice and they kept things working. And this was the church ultimately at 16 years old, I became a follower of Jesus in. And I have been forever marked by the generosity of these people. You've not even met any of these people most likely. But because I may have some level of influence in your life, and because you call this church your church, and I happen to be your pastor, these folks are even making somewhat of a difference and impact in your life, though you've never met them and they have never met you because generosity changes lives. It's changed my life. And if someone hadn't been grateful and ended up generous, I don't know if I would be here today, but I have been affected by these people and they were generous. And let me tell you what I know because they were generous. They were grateful. Probably not all of them were generous. Probably not all of them were grateful. But there was enough of them that were grateful and ended up generous that it really did change my life. Now, that was when I was a kid. But even into adulthood, I have been marked and changed by generosity. 
when I was 19, 20, and I was trying to figure out what in the world to do with my life, and I had been dabbling with drugs, and I, I, I kind of had one foot in the church, and one foot out of the church, and one foot in faith, and one foot out of faith, and, and, and I was trying to decide what in the world should I do, and, and people were coming up and telling me, you know, Trevor, God's going to use you in a big way, and, and I just couldn't understand that because I just felt like, man, you just don't even know me. You just don't even know what I'm into, and, and, and all of this stuff, and and I remember there was one particular guy, he was a retired uh, nuclear technician engineer from Oak Ridge. His name was H.P. Nichols. H.P. Nichols, I called him Preacher Nichols. He'd been a bivocational pastor for over 40 years. And then he started attending the church that I went to. Uh, once I was 16, I left my parents' church. I went to another church because there was nobody my age at my church. And so I went to another church because there were some people my age there. And he attended that church. And all of a sudden, he started buying me book after book after book after book after book, book on theology, book on the Bible, book on the end times. I mean, he just bought me books, all kinds of books. I can go to my library today and I can open up in my study books and, and so many of them will have, you know, written in the, in the front with his handwriting from H.P. Nichols, then it would have his phone number underneath it. And, and he would walk up and he would give me a stack of books and he would say, hey, read this, you'll be better off for it. <laughs> And then sometimes he'd walk up to me and he'd shake my hand and he'd give me $20 and say, hey, I've been blessed, I wanna bless you. And it was just crazy. I mean, why, why would somebody even do that? And here today, I'm different because this guy, for some reason, took some interest in me, bought me a whole bunch of books, took me out to eat. He was super nice. When I later on went around and was speaking at some churches, he would follow me. Him and his wife would... They would follow me. I, I, can't even, I can't even tell you why somebody would do that. And they lived in Oak Ridge and they would drive, they would just drive hours to come listen to me. And then after it was over, he, he just, you know, he'd be my biggest cheerleader. I have been changed by the generosity of other people. When I wanted to get married and I felt like it was time, you know, to ask Allison to marry me. Uh, I had worked since the time that I, I was 16 uh, and I wasn't from a wealthy family. And, and I wanted to buy a good ring as I think any guy would wanna buy a good ring for, for the girl that he wanted to marry. And, but I didn't even feel like I could buy a decent ring. I didn't feel like I could afford a decent ring. And, and then another couple who, I, I don't even know how they even knew about it, but they, they gave me the money of what I lacked to buy the decent ring that I wanted to buy. I didn't even have the money to buy it and I didn't even ask for it. But one day they just walk up and said, hey, we know you're thinking about asking Allison to, to marry you. And so, hey, why don't you just buy the ring that you want to buy? Why do people do that? Where does that type of generosity come from? And I'll tell you where that type of generosity comes from. It comes from people who are grateful. From, for they're grateful. And gratitude generates generosity. There were times when we were first married that people would, you know, I don't even know why I'm getting so emotional about this. Lord have mercy. I didn't do this at 8.30, but there's no emotion at 8.30. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whoo. Level of attention. All right. I, I remember when we were first married, people would invite us on trips, take us on vacations that they knew we couldn't afford and say, we're going to pay for everything. They'd take us to restaurants. They knew we couldn't afford it. They, they, would, they, would, pay, they would pay for the dinners. I'm telling you, I have been changed by generosity. You have been changed by generosity. Jesus knew that generosity changes lives. This is why Jesus talks so much about it. Matter of fact, some of the most famous sayings of Jesus have to do with generosity. Jesus would say things like this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Isn't this amazing that Jesus knew that the status of our heart would be connected with how we spend our money? Do you know why the church gets so quiet when you talk about money? Because you're poking on their heart. See, we would rather people poke on our facade rather than really poke on our heart. Because how we spend our money actually has a lot to do with the status of our heart. Jesus said, it's a pipe dream, so give it up. If you're one of those people who think that you can let your heart lead your generosity, <laughs> he says, oh, no, wrong. Jesus said, go ahead and give that up. You need to understand that where your money is, that's where your heart will go. Your heart will follow your treasure. Your treasure will not follow your heart. This is what Jesus talked about. Matter of fact, so don't get, don't get weirded out by talking about money in church because th this is like the craziest thing about Christians when we get weirded out about talking about money in church. Do you know that if Jesus were the pastor of this church or any church and he preached 52 straight Sundays, do you know that 17 of the 52 would be entirely about money? Now think about that. If I preached 17 times over the next 52 weeks about money, half of you would drop out. You'd be sick more often than you've ever been. But Jesus would preach 17 out of 52 times about money because he knows how powerful money is. And he knows that money controls our heart. Not the other way around. So why did Jesus talk so much about money? Because he knew what was at stake. And he told his followers, you should think as managers, not owners, because when you think as an owner, it's way complicated. But if you think as a manager, it's really clarifying. If somebody else gives you their money and says, hey, watch this, I need you to do this. This is what I need you to pay. This is what I need you to do. And this, da, 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 da. You look at somebody else's money that you're entrusted with a lot differently than you look at your money because you think as a manager, not an owner. And Jesus taught his followers to look at their resources, their money as managers, not owners. Jesus would also say things like this. It's more blessed to give than receive. Matter of fact, most, most New Testament scholars believe that Jesus said this so much that people could just regurgitate it in the first century. That it was so well known that this was something that Jesus said over and 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 over again. He said it so much that people got sick and tired of hearing it. It's more blessed to give than receive. It was a common statement. Now, here's what I know and here's what you know. It is blessed to receive. Can I get a witness? It is. It's blessed to receive. Jesus said there's nothing wrong with receiving. But Jesus said, let me flip the paradigm upside down. It is more blessed to give than receive. It is better for you to have a hand that gives than a hand that receives. That's what Jesus said. Now, that's hard to believe. That's emotionally hard to embrace. It's hard to truly embrace that there's more blessing in a hand that gives than a hand that receives, but Jesus said that is absolutely true. Now, here's what Jesus does. This, this is great. This is worth your trip here today. Jesus connects our quality of life, not to our standard of living, but to our standard of giving. He says, if you're looking for quality of life, he says, it's at the end of giving, not receiving. That's where it's at. And that's generosity. It's more blessed to be a generous person than to receive generously. It's good to receive generously, but it is better to give generously. In other words, Jesus taught happiness is the outcome of giving rather than receiving. That if you truly want to be happy, some of you, you're just not happy. And let me tell you why you're not happy. You're not happy because you are looking for someone to give you something. Someone owes you something. Culture owes you something. Society owes you something. Family owes you something. Friends owe you something. 
Your employer owns you something, your friends owe you something, your spouse owes you something. And so you go through life with an open hand, not so that you can give, but so that you can get what you think it will require for you to be happy. But Jesus said, you are gonna continue to miss the target of happiness. Happiness is not in a hand that is open to receive. Happiness is in the hand that is open to give. That happiness is the outcome of giving, not receiving. That happiness is the outcome of giving, not receiving. Happiness is not the outcome of income. Happiness is the outcome of giving rather than receiving. Now, why did Jesus feel the need to say over and over and over and over again, it's more blessed to give than receive? Because he knows that you and he knows that me that we tend to be resistant to the things that we know are good and best for us. Now you see this happening all the time in other people's lives. It's hard to see it in your own. You get frustrated in other people's lives. Some of you, you've got friends and family, maybe it's your parent, maybe it's your spouse. The doctor has told them, if you don't change the way that you're eating, it's gonna kill you. But what have they changed? <laughs> Goose egg, zero. Honey, do you love me? Oh, I love you. Do you want to die? No, I don't want to die. Stop with the triple baconator. <laughs> Stop. But why do we resist what is good and best for us? You know it's best to exercise. You know it's best to eat right. You know it's best, but it's, there's something about, mm, that's not, it's, it's good for me, but I don't know. And Jesus knew we would be that way about generosity. We know it's good, and it may even be best for us. It may be true that happiness is the result of giving, not receiving. But there's something inside of us that resists what we know is good and best for us. And this is why Jesus talked about it so much. But the most valuable thing that Jesus brings into the world about generosity is not one particular statement that he said, but it's really something that he taught. And when Jesus taught about generosity over and over again, Jesus taught that generosity isn't measured by how much you give, but by how much you keep. Now, this is a big deal. And this is inspiring, motivating, convicting, uncomfortable. Because Jesus said it's not about the amount that you give because sometimes you can hide behind an amount. But generosity is measured by how much you keep. One day Jesus was at the temple and it was a bit odd and a bit weird. But Jesus and his disciples were watching people give their offerings. Now, how would you feel at offering time if somebody just sat there and watched you? be like, these people are cracked out. What is wrong with these people? But Jesus and his disciples were watching people give. And he says a whole bunch of rich people, they walked up and they, they put in large amounts into the offering. And then a little widow woman, right? You remember this story maybe. The little widow woman walks up and she puts in two copper coins or two mites. And those two copper coins, they were worth one eighth of a cent each or one one-twenty-eighth of a day's wage, equivalent of about six minutes of what one would earn by working six minutes. And she put in the smallest denomination in that culture as far as currency goes. And Jesus looked at his guys and says, guys, did you see that? She gave more than anybody else. And they're thinking, no, she didn't. <laughs> Jesus, there was a bunch of people putting in a lot more. Jesus said, yes. But I'm telling you that generosity is not how much you give, but how much you keep. And she gave more than the rest because you know what she gave? She gave all. She gave everything. She didn't hold anything back. 
It was reckless. It was crazy. It was radical. There was another woman in Jesus' final week of ministry. She cracked open a really expensive bottle of perfume. It was worth a full year's wage. If you worked a full year, what you would have been compensated for a full year's salary, that's what that bar, that jar of perfume cost. And she broke it open and she poured it all on the head and the feet of Jesus and washed Jesus' feet with her hair. And, and, and Jesus' disciples watched this and they were thinking what some of you would think and what I would think. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. You just took a full year's salary and like, I can't even believe what you did. And Jesus, he, he, he rebuked them. And he said, you leave her alone because what she did is something beautiful. Because Jesus is saying generosity is always beautiful in every expression of it. And Jesus said, let me tell you what's going to happen. For the rest of history, people will remember her act of generosity. And you know what? Here we are, the Roman Empire came and the Roman Empire fell. The greatest empire in the history of the world. But here we are in 2017 talking about a woman from Bethany who was generous. Because Jesus wanted to use these two extremes to show us that generosity is not about how much you give, but it's about how much you keep. Here, here's how I choose to think about it. Understanding generosity is like a piece of cake, but practicing generosity isn't a piece of cake. Now, you know it's gonna be a good day at church when there's cake. <laughs> when you think about generosity and you think about what the New Testament teaches about generosity, what Jesus says about generosity, understanding it is a piece of cake. It's simple. It's like, we can, we can latch on to this. It, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to grasp this. But practicing generosity isn't a piece of cake because it's not about the piece you give away. It's about all the pieces that you keep for yourselves. And that's where the New Testament makes us extremely uncomfortable about the topic of generosity. Cake is what you've been given. It's how much you've been given in life. Some of us, we've been given a little bit of cake. Some of us are right here in the middle lane of cake. We don't have a little cake. There's people who have smaller amount of cake than us, but then there's people who have a lot bigger size cake than we've got. But here we are in the middle and we've got a mid-sized cake. Now, maybe a few of us, a few of us now, we have been given a lot of cake. I mean, it, it's big, it's tall, we got a lot of cake. We got more cake than we ever thought we would ever have. Some of us who've been living a while, we started off with a little bit of cake, then our cake got a little bit bigger, and now we're, we're, you know, we're looking at all this cake, and it's like, I can't believe I got all this cake. So cake is how much you've been given. Some of us, a little bit of cake. Some of us, we're right in the middle of cake. And right here, some of us are up here in the upper tier of cake. Now, here's the question. What are you doing with the cake that you've been given? What are you doing with the amount of cake that you've been given? Because everybody's been given some cake. And here's what Jesus teaches us. Every single cake is capable of generosity. Every single person here is capable of generosity, whether it's a person with a little bit of cake, a person with a mid amount of cake, or a person with a lot of cake. Each person is equally capable of generosity. And we're not talking about amounts. We're talking about proportion. We're talking about percentage. 
And each of these people are capable of equal generosity. And Jesus taught that generosity is not what we give, but it's about what we keep. And so Jesus taught generosity, and then his followers became famous for generosity. Matter of fact, Paul, who was not always a Christian, he hated Christians, then he became a Christian, and then he went around the Mediterranean planting churches. Paul, as part of his leadership, he was raising funds for the church and from the church. He was raising funds from the church for the church. And so he writes a letter that we have in the New Testament called the, the letter to the Corinthians. And there's two letters, First and Second Corinthians. And he writes a letter to the Corinthians. And the whole purpose behind him writing this letter, at least in this portion, is he's inviting them to be generous. Some other churches in Macedonia, that's Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, in Macedonia, there have already been churches that have been generous. And here's the thing you need to know about the churches in Macedonia. <laughs> Those churches just had a little bit of cake. Those people, a little bit of cake. People in Corinth, it was metro, it was a booming economy. The people in Corinth had a lot more cake than the people in Macedonia. But the people in Macedonia had been generous even with their little bit of cake. And Paul says, all right, I'm going to write to you Corinthians to say, hey, if those Macedonians can be generous with their little bit of cake, I think that you should be generous with your mid and larger size cake. And so he writes a letter to the Corinthians to say, come on, other people are doing this generosity thing and so should you. And so this is what he says about the churches in Macedonia. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, wasn't the best of days for them in Macedonia. Their overflowing joy, even in the midst of difficulty, they had joy. You know why they had joy? Because they had gratitude. And gratitude creates joy. Overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, they just had a little bit of cake. A little bit of cake. Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, how does that happen? How does poverty, how can it yield generosity? Because this goes against everything that we think. How does poverty yield generosity? And here's Paul's point. You don't have to be rich in order to be richly generous. You don't have to be rich in order to be richly generous. I.e., the woman at the temple. Not wealthy, not rich, not affluent, but yet she was wealthy and she gave more than everybody else. She was richly generous. Now, here, here's something to think about about these folks. Generosity didn't change their circumstance. They're in severe trial. They're in poverty. Their circumstance didn't change. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But here's the thing. They began to see their circumstances differently because of generosity. And they ultimately responded differently to their circumstances because of their gratitude that generated generosity. They're like the woman at the temple. So he's trying to inspire Corinthians. Hey, they got a little and they were generous. What are you going to do? So he says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Wow. But then he goes a step further and even beyond their ability. How do you even do that? How do you give beyond your ability? How does that work? How do you give beyond your ability to give? And Paul's saying, listen, these folks have blown me away. You don't even know how little their cake is, but... When you, if you just knew how generous they were, they've given beyond their ability. They've given so generously, it's, it seems reckless. It seems unwise. It seems dangerous. People are trying to talk them out of it. Saying, so you need to stop that. But here's the thing, and, and based on your personality, 
I, I read through this and I've been reading through this for weeks. And I was thinking, if I, were, if I were the pastor, I would be so tempted to say, don't do that. There's other people with more cake. Let them give. But you just have a little bit of cake, so you keep it for yourself. Now, here's a question. Now, think about this. Why didn't Paul do that? Why didn't Paul look at the Macedonians and say, you can't afford it? You can't afford to give. You can't afford to be generous. Why did he not restrain them? You would have been tempted to. I would have been tempted to. And sometimes we're tempted to restrain ourselves because we feel like we're in the same boat as the Macedonians and we say, no, I can't can't afford to be generous. But Paul didn't restrain them and we're gonna find out why in just a moment. But here's, here's what Paul does. Paul is surfacing an ugly truth that exists in culture in the first century and culture in the 21st century. Culture in America, culture outside of America. And here's the ugly truth. The more cake that you have, the less cake you give away. The less cake you have, the more cake you give away. The less cake you have, the more cake you give away. It's true in America. It was true in the first century. The more cake you have, the less cake you give away. Now, here's, here's statistics you can Google. Google's your friend. People in the highest income bracket, they give away large chunks of money. It's impressive to a lot of us. But people in the highest income bracket give away the least amount of percent of their cake. In this country, the people have the least amount of income, the lowest income bracket, they give away twice as much cake proportionately than the people who are in the highest income bracket. Now think about that. People who have the most cake give away the least cake. People who have the least cake give away the most cake to the tune of twice as much cake the people who have the least amount. And this is ugly, this is horrible. We don't like this, but so many of us, unfortunately, are guilty of this. Now, let me, me, here's what I was taught. This is just me. I was raised, there's 10 slices. I'm gonna take one slice out of the 10 and I'm gonna give it back. I'm gonna give it back to my local church. That's good. It's the best way to preach. I'm enjoying myself even if you're not enjoying me. It's okay. I can preach to a mirror. All right. I was taught the other nine, here it is, but I'm going to give one away. That's what I was taught. I was taught to tithe, that that was the beginning point of generosity. So I try to teach my kids that. That's what we've always practiced since we've been married. I get 10 slices. I give away one. Even when I had just a little bit of cake over here. I gave away my one little slice. Now that I have more cake than I ever thought that I would, boy, this is coconut. <laughs> to God be the glory. <laughs> I know it's not mannerly, but get over it. All right. <laughs> I've just been taught you give away one slice out of 10. Looks like a full cake left. I mean, it's just one slice out of 10. That's what, I was, that's what I was taught. Whether I had a little, whether I was a medium, or whether I had a large cake, that's just what I was taught. Relevant Magazine, you, you can look up the article. It's really, really interesting. But they, they basically researched and said that 10 to 20% of the American Christians that go to church tithe. 10 to 20%. Tithe is giving a tenth. One slice out of 10. You get $10, you give a dollar. 
You get $100, you give 10. You give $1,000, you give 100, right? I mean, so you give a 10. At 10 to 20%, I think that's kind of bloated and inflated, but perhaps they've researched it enough. I, I trust that they know what they're talking about. But they asked this question, what if everybody decided to give one piece out of 10 pieces away? What if we gave one piece out of 10 back to the local church? What, what would happen? And here's what they came up with. They studied this and they said, if 75 to 90% of people would give one piece of cake away out of 10, here's what would happen in five years. Global hunger could be eradicated. Starvation eliminated. Death by preventable disease essentially done away with. Illiteracy conquered. Water and sanitation issues all across the globe dealt with in five years. And all overseas mission work fully funded with a hundred billion dollars left over to fund what needed to be funded. With one slice of cake out of 10 slices of cake. And Paul says, entirely on their own, these Macedonians, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They asked to give. <laughs> they said, Paul, let us give. Can you imagine that? Isn't that crazy? That's crazy for us 21st century Americans. You talk about giving in the local church and people get mad and they act silly. I ain't going back to that church. They talk about giving. Well, you won't like Jesus. <laughs> I don't know who you think Jesus is, but you got the wrong idea of Jesus. You think you're a New Testament Christian? Read the New Testament. You won't like it either. Because this is the deal. This is not about wanting something from you. Dear Lord, it's not. It's about wanting something for you. That generosity is good and best for you and good and best for me. He says they ask to give. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They were committed to God. And then they by the will of God, committed themselves to us. So Paul says, hey, Corinthians, you need to be generous. You got, you got a good-sized piece of cake. Be generous. People with less cake than you are more generous than you. What's wrong with that? People with less cake than you are more generous than you. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you folks? Come on now. This is good for you. It's more blessed to give than receive. You've received a lot of cake, but I'm telling you, as good as it was to receive a lot of cake, it is more blessed to give cake away. And now, Paul answers why he would not restrain those with a little bit of cake from giving, because he goes on, he says, okay, as you're considering giving, here's what I want you to remember. Remember this, that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap Generously. Now, I just got to say this. I don't know why I feel the need to say this. But th this is not a TV preacher with really bad hair saying this. <laughs> this is Paul. This is like New Testament. And this, we can make, make us a little bit uncomfortable. But here, here's what Paul is basically saying. Farmers, farmers don't think of seed that they plant as seed that is lost. Farmers understand that when they sow seed, they're not losing seed, but they are gaining a harvest. Now, here's what Paul does. He connects giving in the New Testament under grace, new covenant, to law. Not the law of Moses, not the old covenant, but to a universal law of nature. He says it's always been true that when you sow generously, you reap generously. 
And Paul says, what is true in nature is true of finances. Now, that may not be something you like to hear. It may make us feel uncomfortable. It may seem like somebody's trying to manipulate us. But this is what Paul taught. And we can't be embarrassed by it, and we shouldn't be. He says that giving is connected to the universal law of sowing and reaping. Farmers don't put seed in their pocket and feel good about it. Saying, look at all this seed I got in my pocket. For a rainy day, Lord, mercy, I feel great about my farming. No. Good farmers, wise farmers, intelligent farmers, they know that seed in the pocket is useless. But seed in the ground, that's a harvest. Here's what he's saying. (laughs) The God that gave you the cake to begin with, when you give your cake away generously, God makes sure that cake comes back to you. And Paul says, that's just the way it is. He says, each of you, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart. This is a personal thing. Not reluctantly. None of us should do that. Nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says, you need a plan. And once you get a plan, you just need to decide to be generous. Because God who is able, he goes on. He says, and God who is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And then he unpacks it a little bit more and this is where we ended. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, who's he who supplies seed to the sower? God. And bread for food will also supply and increase who? Your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched so that you can be generous. Not so that you can hoard Not so that you can just be extravagant and luxurious and there's nothing wrong with having a lot of stuff. He says, but ultimately the point is, if you decide to give away your cake and generosity, you're always going to have more cake coming back at you so you can continue to be generous with it. This is amazing. So that on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result what? In thanksgiving to God. And then he says this, and even others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity. You know what generosity does? Generosity invites God into our finances. And Paul says, if you can get to the place where you trust what Jesus said enough that it's more blessed to give than receive, and you begin to give some of your cake away, no matter what size cake you have, and you begin to give away your cake sacrificially, God will always make sure you have more cake in order to continue to be generous. So Paul wraps up this whole thing by saying, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift because he brings us full circle. He says, Christians are compelled to be generous because at the heart of Christianity was the single greatest act of generosity in the history of the world. That for God so loved, he gave his only son. That Jesus was given as a gift from the Father. And we as followers of Jesus are now part of that harvest. That Jesus impacted and changed the whole world through an act of generosity. And Paul brings us back so that we understand that generosity begins and ends with gratitude. When you're grateful with, for the cake that you've got, and you give your cake away generously, there will be somebody else who will be grateful for it. And in both 
sides of generosity, God receives the gratitude. You're grateful to God for the cake you've received. You give cake away. Somebody else benefits from it, and they thank God. It begins and ends with gratitude. So here, here's what you need to do. This is, this is it. You got to be prepared. It means you need a budget. You need to plan. You need to have an idea of what you're going to do with your cake. If you don't plan what you're going to do with your cake, you're not going to have a clue what you do with your cake, and you're going to waste your cake. So get a budget, and in this budget, be generous. Give first. I suggest you take the first slice out of 10 and give it. Give it away. That's what I suggest. I, I think it's the best thing to do. I think that's what we're supposed to do. Be wise. Take a slice and save it. Put it away for a day when you need more cake. Save it. And then be content and live off the rest of the cake. Take a slice, give it away. Take a slice, save it. And take the rest and give it away. Well, that's not difficult. Because even if I take two slices out, I'm giving one away, I'm saving one, but I still have a lot of cake left. And I gotta order my life around what's important. And if I've ordered my life around in a way that I can't be generous, I need to change some things about my life. Gratitude generates generosity. When we are grateful, for what we have, it inspires us to be generous with what we have. I was grateful in our little rented house where the walls were horrible and the floors were horrible and you, you couldn't even get in between the toilet and the hot water heater. It's how small it was. But we were grateful for our little piece of cake. And we gave away cake even when we had a little bit of cake. And then in time, we had a little bit more cake and we continued to give cake away. Now, I, we got more cake than I ever thought we would have. And many of you feel the same way. And it's like, I'm so grateful. How can I not? And I really do believe it's more blessed to give than receive. I have been the recipient of generosity, but I'm telling you the, the most enjoyable thing that I get to do I love being generous. And I'm not saying I'm a great person. Lord God, follow me around for a day. You'll know better. But I love generosity. I love getting to practice. It's addictive to give cake away. It's awesome. And once you start giving cake away, you'll never want to go back to keeping all the cake for yourself. So here's, here's what we're gonna do as a church. We do this every year. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to be generous. And on December the 10th, we have our Christmas offering here at the Creek Church. And if the Creek Church is not your church, hey, just ignore what I'm saying. If you're not a Jesus follower, just ignore what I'm saying. But if you call the Creek Church your church, on December 10th, we, we receive our Christmas offering. And I wanna encourage you to think about being generous. No matter where you are on the spectrum of being generous, some of you, you give already, but I wanna ask you on that day to consider giving over and above. For some of you who haven't even started giving yet, I wanna ask you to consider start a life of generosity on that day and give some cake away. We're launching a brand new campus in the spring of 2018. 
A new campus costs us about $200,000, and we're starting the Creek Church Williamsburg, and we're super pumped about it. And we're inviting all of our church, London, Somerset, to join with us. And we want to launch that campus as strong as we can. We've been planning for this, but we, we want to invite all of our church into this opportunity for generosity because we believe that generosity changes lives and we believe that there are groups of people that are going to be changed. And one day, they're not even going to know your name. They're going to feel about you like I feel about that group of people. And I could keep you here for longer than is wise telling you story after story after story after story of how these people changed my life. And one day, there will be a people that has never met you and they don't even know your name and they may not even have a picture of you but because of your generosity they're going to thank God for you and you know what they're going to do they're going to be so grateful for your generosity they're going to turn around and be generous themselves and the wave is just going to keep on moving family after family and generation after generation is going to get swept up in a wave of gratitude and generosity. So I want you to pray. How can you be generous? What can you do that may be a bit radical, reckless in giving some of your cake away? Because Jesus said it's not about how much you give. It's really about how much you keep. but you'll only really want to be generous once you really find yourself grateful for what you've already received. And when you're grateful for that, you'll be moved to be generous with what you've been entrusted with. Father, I pray that we're grateful people. Knowing that gratefulness leads to generosity We've all been impacted by someone else's generosity and I pray that we're grateful. Even though life may be tough and even if we have a little bit of cake, that we're grateful for what we have and where we are. That if we've been blessed with more cake than what we used to have, that we'd be grateful for it. That God, we'd just be honest and be grateful so that we'll be moved with generosity because we believe that generosity changes lives. We know it's true because the generosity of our Heavenly Father has forever changed us. Thank you. In Jesus' name.